Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. All right. Well, well, well. The final banter of the year. Welcome, welcome to part two of our special two-part banter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Murray. And I'm Mitch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're wishing you a happy uh, early Christmas. We've got a few things to uh, get through before mm. we sort of jump into Christmas Day. But Mitch, you'll have to excuse me if we've already spoken about this on banter, but any, anything on uh, Santa's wish list for you this year, mate? Uh, I've picked my presents myself. Love it. I'm a bit ashamed to say what they are because. Oh, okay. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's is just it, more exercise it, equipment. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought it was <laughs> maybe going to be an M-rated. No, episode no, no, of things, no. So. Just like I feel like my, a lot of my gifts are all around exercise. I'm like, oh. So anyway, it's okay. So, but it's a temple. Black Friday sales. I bought myself some slam balls. Come on, love it. So slam there balls. There you go, Rach. They kind of like medicine balls. Yeah, but really heavy. So I got mm. a love it. Seventy-five kilo one, a forty-five. So do, do you get Rach to wrap those for you? on the tree myself so <laughs> love it so good so, so good that's my present i'm hoping that my wife hasn't bought me something because i'll get annoyed look i'm sure i'm sure that she'll nail it if she does get you a little yeah. surprise i got um some wireless uh bluetooth headphones because my current ones Excellent. are just completely breaking apart everywhere so you know it's it's one of these things where i do actually quite like a surprise Okay, but okay. the great thing about not having a surprise is you get exactly what you, you want. want. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so at the good. stage in life where if I need something, I just buy it. Or wait for specials and buy it. Yeah, it is. It, it is tricky. That's what happens when somebody asks you what you want. You're like, hey, if I really wanted it, I would have bought it myself already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's some people listening right now who probably think we sound like the Grinch, but here we are. We're wrapping up uh, not just this sort of, uh, yeah, I guess the end of Absalom's story Mm. in very uh, literal terms and sort of the end of our two Samuel series. Just uh, for those who maybe have a bit of a gap between listening to part one and Mm. part two of this, can you, Mitch, get us up to speed? Who Mm. is Absalom? Yeah, Absalom is... Who who is he in this story of two Samuel? What's been going on? So so Absalom is one of David's sons. And so, where so Absalom's story begins because one of Absalom's half brothers called Amon rapes um, his sister. Their their sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah their yeah, sister. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. pretty like disgusting. And yeah. so, uh, King David fails to um, punish Amon like he should have been. The punishment in Torah for um, yeah, rape was death, and David does nothing. And so Absalom plans this cold like. Cold revenge, waits two years, gets Amon drunk at harvest time, kills him, and then this is sort of leads to a spiral events where Absalom flees for three years in exile. Um, he comes back to Jerusalem uh, after um, David's general Joab sort of convinced him to let Absalom back in. And then, um, yeah, and so we've sort of hit the point now where David and Absalom have communicated, they've spoken, uh, they've, David's kissed Absalom on the cheek. It sort of seems like life is sort of back to normal so to speak Mm -hmm. but then in chapter 15 Mm. things begin to change i'm sure some people kind of thinking well i thought christmas was awkward on my family (laughs) (laughs) table but yeah no this is kind of a i mean yeah it almost couldn't get any worse you know and and the way it sort of ends up it's sort of the pinnacle of just family tragedy and and yeah heartache so at this point we've got absalom now 
sort of taking on um, a little bit more power, a little bit more mm. prestige, and maybe slowly siphoning it away from David a little bit. So mm. what's going on here in, in chapter so 15 as we jump in? Chapter 15, we're told here, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses with 50 men to run ahead mm. of him. Sounds familiar. Does sound very familiar. <laughs> uh, um, for the Bible nerds out there, in Deuteronomy 17, it specified the requirements of a king. And one of those was not to build up chariots. So... Saul and David, despite their weaknesses, actually never built up chariots. Mm. So here's the first time, uh, well, let's say he's a king because he yeah. becomes king temporarily. Here's the first time an uh, Israelite king builds chariots. And mm. so Absalom starts off with you know, a chariot and horses and 50 men. Solomon, he amplifies that because mm. chariots represent Egypt, Pharaoh, represent this sort of false power. And so he's doing what all the ancient kings did. And so Absalom is really a bit of an anti-hero type figure. He sought revenge because David failed to enact justice as the king yeah. did. And in biblical narrative, we don't understand what the character's like motivations are. But you can guess here, this period of like years and years of exile, being neglected by David, seeing him fail as a king, he's starting to go, you know what? I can do a better job mm. than my father. And so... What he does, people in the ancient world would go to the king with complaints mm -hmm. and say so he waits um, outside the city gates and he asks this question, what town are you from? And if they answered your servants from one of the tribes of Israel, they say, look, you know, your claims, this is from verse 3, Absalom will say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who had a, has a complaint or case could come to me and I would say that they would receive justice hmm. and so what he's doing he's starting to make like doubt hmm. about david's like well if you're from one of the tribes of israel hmm. so the not from the tribe of judah where david's from yeah. you're not going to hear anything but if i was king yeah a bit like an opposition leader yeah in, yeah well, if i was prime minister if i was president i would do this better hmm. and so he's sowing those seeds of doubt and it's interesting um yeah absalom the kissing kind of comes up a couple of times, so David's mm. kissed Absalom. Now here, Absalom, he, you know, he would reach out and you know take the person's hand and kiss him, and he and he would do this. Um, so he's stealing. It says here in the text, so he stole the heart of the people, mm. and so yeah, that's it. it's it's yeah, a long process, seven years in total, from mm. when Amon first assaulted Tamar to this moment, this seven-year time frame where Absalom's building up mm. his power and mm. so what started as sort of a failure on david's part we're now seeing the fulfillment of nathan's prophecy mm. after his um, david's sin with bathsheba so and what's interesting if you keep looking on david um began his rule in a city called hebron mm. and he ruled there for about seven years mm. now in verse seven we're told absalom said to the king let me go to hebron and fulfill a vow i made to the lord while your servant was living in Geshu, that's when he was in exile, I made this vow that the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem. I'll worship in Hebron. Mm. And so it's, yeah, it's hard to know if it's uh, um, deliberately just mirroring David or it's just sort of, mm. I use the word inverted like commas, like a coincidence. Mm. But the Bible also has some, like themes popping up. And so Absalom here is um, mirroring mm. David. He's mm. going into Hebron, just the first city David rule, and mm. now he's going to take charge. And yeah. there's a fair bit of irony here, Dave. Mm. So Absalom's name means like my father is peace. Mm. 
and David's like last words to Absalom is go in peace. Mm. So it's interesting. It's like, hey, go in peace. And Absalom doesn't bring peace. Mm. He brings the very opposite. So Yeah. I mean, he's kind of become what like Samuel had was warning them of all the way back in 1 Samuel 8, where he literally yep. says, you know, he'll take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, like run before his chariots. Mm. It definitely seems to be that he has more than, as you said, you know, Saul or David really mm. becoming this literal warning yeah. <laughs> quite specifically that Samuel gave them. There's also an interesting thing here, which, you know, we, we can look at a bit later, but also take your daughters. Mm. Is that like, I don't know, I, I kind of can't help but think how Amnon sort of took Tamar, yeah. like David's daughter. Yeah. Is there maybe like a little bit of a thing yeah, going on there? Yeah, probably lots of interplays there. Yeah. Is there anywhere else we sort of see in this story, this idea of taking your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers sort of being embodied in the way that we see those uh, chariots? Look, probably more Solomon, not someone. Yeah. I see a lot more in Solomon than yeah. Absalom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absalom's real crime is, um, which happens a few, like a few verses later, is when he takes over Jerusalem and he sleeps with David's yeah. like, ten concubines. Yeah. So you see that sort of taking there, this yeah. escalation. What started off as... Yeah, his half brother, yeah, assaulting his sister, mm. now leads to him becoming like even worse. Even worse. Like, yeah, not, it's not just one woman, ten times. Yeah, and so it's, I mean, there's this, yeah, this real anti-hero kind of what start off as someone seeking to wrong, you know, justify a, a wrong mm. and make it right, himself becomes a greater villain. Yeah. What's that? What's that from? The Dark Knight. You know, either you live long enough to see yourself become... I, th I think that might be Game of Thrones. Is it? I oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Either you li live long enough to become the villain or you die and become the hero. hero yeah. You I die the Batman. hero. Yeah, yeah anyway, yeah, yeah. like that idea is, hey, let's start off as a bit of an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually becomes like the villain. So, because yeah. my view of Absalom was sort of this, the guy that, you know, sleeps with David's 10 concubines mm. and for actually seeing like the trajectory from that it didn't just happen overnight. There was a process mm. in that. And so, yeah. It's a real warning. There's no real winners in this. Mm. No mm. real heroes. It's mm. just messy. Mm. Very, very messy. The um, other question um, in this idea of verse 4, Absalom adds, if only I were appointed judge in the land. I could very easily do a little interlinear on that, but mm. is this the same word judge that we should be thinking of as judges or is this a yeah, different type of... I, it's similar judge. So he's... Because he's not going to say, oh, if I was appointed king... He's not going to be that yeah, bold. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the idea of like a judge, like a Samuel. Samuel yeah. was a judge. Yeah. That that idea of like judges, yeah. judges. Like yeah. Those people that would go around and yeah, yeah, ensure that justice was yeah happened. So that's part of that Caesar doubt because it says it goes on for four years. Mm. So it wasn't a, an overnight thing. It took a long yeah, time. For sure. So, for sure. Yeah. So we see um, in this sort of Absalom is fulfilling part of Samuel's sort of prophecy from mm. the very beginning. Uh, and we've sort of kind of flirting with this idea now a bit. Um, he also takes on a persona of a, a, a judge in a way as mm. well in this. Um, how do we kind of see that um, fully come to come out? Yeah. So w when he's in Hebron, we're not told a whole lot of details, but basically people start to follow him and throughout the tribes he was like, Absalom is king in Hebron and so mm. then so he's sowed enough doubt amongst the people about David mm. that 
essentially now he can take over. It's not just he's not just a good guy that listens to your problems. He's mm. the one that can lead Israel and yeah. And so when, when um, he takes on that role, a messenger comes to David and they flee Jerusalem. Mm. And so yeah, David's now pushed into this second exile. So sure. his first exile was with Saul. Saul. Um, yeah, obviously he's jealous of David's success, chasing him out. So David's first exile is he's in exile because of his righteousness, mm-hmm. the righteous sufferer. Sure. Here it's yeah, as like a punishment for his sins with Bathsheba. The yeah, David's own words in that parable to Nathan about the rich man taking the the poor man's sheep is you mm-hmm. know he needs to repay four times. It's that seems to be happening, and so. But what people have noticed, a lot of commentators, a lot smarter than I am, is that... Not possible. I <laughs> know. No, no. <laughs> very, very possible. Um, is that David's flight from exile mirrors a lot of Jesus. Hmm. And so David, he flees Jerusalem and goes to the Mount of Olives. Um, that's what Jesus does when he leaves. Yeah. After the last supper, he goes to the Mount of Olives and prays. Um, Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus with a kiss. Mm-hmm. That's the same David kisses Absalom. Um, Judas um, hangs himself when, um, yeah, he feels shame. Yeah, um, can never say his name right, but Athiophel, Athiophel, he's he's David's advisor who betrays him with Absalom. He hangs himself after his. Um, advice isn't listened to because mm. he probably sees the writing on the wall mm. so there's and another one too is um david encounters one of um saul's um relatives who sort of like curses him mm. his name's um shimmy curses him and one of david's soldiers says hey should i cut his head off and david's like no 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 no. like he actually kind of takes the rebuke on he goes perhaps he's sent by yahweh mm. there's this sort of like well i'm this might be what i deserve and so saying even that, like David, could have killed him very easily, but mm. holds restraint in a similar way. Jesus could have easily killed Judas mm. and the people in the garden and Pilate and every, everyone who put him on trial. Yeah. He says they go like a call down a legion of angels. And so, saying like this moment is a, a, a strange mix that Jesus takes on. Like David, mm-hmm. he becomes a bit like an Absalom who gets stuck in the tree. Yeah, um, yeah. He Judas, yeah, fulfills the. Because um, Athiothel, when he's um, talking to Absalom about how to conquer David, his advice is strike hard now, kill David, this will end. And they don't listen to that advice. And in mm. a way, that's what Judas does. Strikes in early, takes Jesus, the rest of the disciples flee. Mm. And so, yeah, there's lots of cool little parallels that set up in, yeah. this, in this moment yeah. of um, David's exile. So. Mm. So in all of this, you've got this um, obviously quite extensive story of David's exile. Mm. Um, And you're saying that it sort of mirrors Jesus's Mm. in a lot of ways. Um, And, you know, it is interesting. Like, I I feel like as you kind of go through the story of David, he seems to both offer the the best examples and the worst examples Mm. of what to do. I think it was really fascinating last time when we sort of saw his first exile. Um, He was obviously getting chased by Saul. Mm. Uh, You know, Saul's trying to kill him. Um, And then you see he has multiple opportunities to, you know, end Saul's Mm. life. And yet 
in all of this, in this chaos, in I'm sure what must be a very stressful and mm-hmm. erratic and, and just, you know, awful time for him in exile, he continues to respect the authority of Saul in that moment mm. as, you know, currently the one who is ordained and chosen by God. Um, he seems to once again have, uh, yeah, very... I suppose, commendable clarity (laughs) around this time, the arc and what that sort Mm. of looks like. Can you talk a little bit about that and what sort of goes on for David in that exile with the arc? Yeah, so um, if you read um, 2 Samuel 15, as David's fleeing, encounters all of these different people and it gets super confusing. But actually, before we go to the arc, I'll talk about one thing before because it's interesting. Um, He meets a guy called Ittai the Gittite and... Ty's been with him since David's first exile. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. The people who actually follow David, are, a lot of them are Gentiles. Yeah. And so there's this cool idea here of like David, sure, he's the king over Israel, mm. but more broadly king over all the nations. Like mm. some of his most loyal followers are foreigners. Yeah. Where the nation who's meant to follow him has deserted him which is another cool little parallel mm. to Jesus. So yeah. that's a really interesting little like kind of tidbit there. And then when he gets the ark, Zadok, um, the priest, they're, they're, it's a cool little, like I guess, mirror reversal at the beginning of 1 Samuel where the, when the Israelites are battling the Philistines, mm. they take the ark out almost as like a lucky charm yeah. to help them beat the Philistines. Totally. And the ark gets taken by the Philistines and defeated. We're here. So almost like Zadok's, recognize David's calling to have this eternal priesthood. And if David's not in Jerusalem, then Yahweh's presence is with David, like the mm. ark needs to be with David. Not as like a lucky charm to help him win, yeah. but as like, well, here's the calling. And, there's, um, and that's what a lot of the Psalms pick up. Like there's this priestly, kingly image of the son of David ruling. Mm. And so, yeah, it's almost like, well, if you're out of here, David, we're going to come along with you. And David sends him back and it's well, it's like, well, Jerusalem is the holy city. Mm. So the ark needs to remain there. But it's almost too that, well, a sign that I'll, that David will return, mm. that exile will end. And mm. so Jerusalem, it's yeah, not looking necessarily to David as the hope, but to Jerusalem. And so that's that idea of pointing back. If the son of David returns to Jerusalem, exile is over which is what the later prophets will talk about when mm. the Israelites do go into mm. exile in Babylon so mm. yeah that's that sort of idea there mm. tying deeply and um, obviously Jesus transforms that um, idea um, Ark of the Covenant and Temple and mm. all that it's now in his body but Jesus as the son of David we're told in Revelation where's he returned to to Jerusalem mm. so the so idea is that Jerusalem is the place where the blessing upon the whole world will flow out from so mm. it's such cool little hints here in these narratives you can just read these and look at truthfully it can be quite overwhelming you just read it like oh man who are these names it's super confusing but as you start to dig a bit deep you're like ah oh, there's a lot like foreshadowing Jesus pointing to deeper yeah. Yeah, yeah, significance of what Jesus will fulfill. For right? sure. I think that it's also really striking um, how often, you know, we see Gentiles being brought into, mm-hmm. um, you know, God's people, I suppose, and God's chosen people. And it does seem very striking because I think that often we can think that 
Christ's sort of induction of Gentiles is the, you know, first moment that this Mm. idea has been established. And the Mm. reality is, I mean, time and time again, we've spoken about this before, you know, all the way back in the story of Abraham when he's, you know, chilling out with, you know, Canaanites up on, Mm. you know, the mountain um, while they're all sort of at war below. You see time and time again, these figures of, of God's people bringing in, outsiders Mm. bringing in gentiles i think that you know as much as obviously most of us at church in at our church today are gentiles it is i think a good reminder because i think that we should see ourselves as the jews (laughs) Mm. when we're looking at these stories and thinking okay cool so what does it mean for us to further extend and expand Mm. um and inviting the in inverted commas foreigners because we ourselves are foreigners that's how that's how paul reads scripture yeah in galatians he says hey if you like have faith in jesus you're one of abraham's children yeah like part of that promise yeah yeah that's one of the cool things about the old testament is that it really challenges that perception of what is a hebrew or an israelite Mm. um not necessarily biological but Mm. someone that has faith and so Mm. So, so Z- Zadok or Zadok? Zadok, yeah, yeah. Um, so it said he he himself was a priest. Mm. So he was a Levite. Is that correct? Yep, yep. So he he was an Israelite. Yep. Um, but obviously, you've got other people coming in, such as Ittai. Um, yep. And so in this as well, we're seeing a really interesting thing where they are sort of being through the exile brought in, which mm. is a really fascinating idea yeah. that I think that the theme of exile continues to obviously mm. be interwoven throughout yep. the Bible. When we're looking at this idea of a moment of trial for somebody being actually the true moment to sort of outreach to mm. people, I think there's something really fascinating there as well, that ultimately when David is in his sort of ivory palace, so to speak, mm. uh, you know, held in with the time when kings are supposed to be out at war that's when he's kind of getting up out up to trouble Mm. but as you you know so eloquently said before the vision at the end of revelation is that there is a throne that is flowing out Mm. i think that there's something really interesting there as well that you know there is time and time again (laughs) this call to not stay within that bubble and continue to go out Mm. and this is what we see here and it's not this idea that you know we're going to i suppose want to stay pure by hiding mm. in the in the city walls but to continue to go out yeah, yeah. i think that yeah that is a really informative vision for how mm. we are to live as christians mm. so as we're kind of going through this now we see the sort of rivalry between absalom and david stepping up one more uh what, mm. what what's kind of going on next yeah here? so when um when um david gets to the mount of olives he finds out that Athiophel, who is, like I mentioned before, Bathsheba's grandfather. Mm. It's probably one of the reasons why he might have sided Absalom. There's a, um, he finds out and that he's now conspired with Absalom. And David prays, Lord, turn Athiophel's counsel into foolishness. And then he meets a guy called Hushai the Archite. Mm. And he becomes like his double agent, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So David goes, hey go back in to the city. I'm just sort of summarizing here. Hey, go into the city and provide counsel for him mm. to like throw him off balance. Mm. And so, you know, while David's sort of in exile because of his failure as a king, it's also showing like God's working and the messiness of that to ensure that David still will one day return to the throne. Mm. And so, mm. yeah, using different people. So it's like, yeah, it's a really cool kind of like, 
I know conspiracy make a good movie you know having like an inside man to yeah. like yeah so yeah so as um Hushai um enters into the city um we're told it continues on more characters he meets a guy called um Ziba the steward of um Mathivasheth who was Jonathan one of David's best mate's sons and yeah there he um uh is treated nicely as Ziba gives him a whole bunch of food looks after him protects him mm. and then what what um some commentators have noted is um it kind of also mirrors David's first flight so uh when David fled from Saul Jonathan looked after him mm. and now Ziba from the house of Saul mm. he's sort of looking after David mm. um yeah but also too, it's interesting. He kind of Zebo also sort of lies a little bit about Mephibosheth, saying, "Oh, he's sort of you know in Jerusalem, you know." And then David's like to Zebo, "Oh, you can have everything that Mephibosheth owns." So, which also too sort of points to another element of the disciples. Like it looked appears that Mephibosheth, he actually turns out he was always loyal to David. Mm. Kind of the disciples actually were not loyal. So mm. if that makes sense, so yeah, it yeah. sort of. Seems like Mephibosheth, that is a mouthful to say. <laughs> You're doing great, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, has fallen away, but he hasn't. But there's so. But the point is that Zibar like, treats David nicely, kind of alluding back to Jonathan. And then as David continues on, he encounters another person from Saul's clan, a man called Shimei, who I mentioned before. He curses David, throws stones at him. Yeah. And it's like, and sort of like, well, that's kind of what, what Saul was doing. So there's this cool little mirroring of... David's first exile, so mm. was looked after by Jonathan, chased by Saul. Mm. Here in his second exile, Aziba is sort of showing him kindness, yeah. and Shimi's showing him hatred. So yeah, yeah that's yeah, just yeah. these just these cool little things that the text does. Yes, and yeah, it's all meant to sort of allude back just to, to show that all, even though in the midst of this. God's kind of working. There's a pattern. That's sure. what scripture does. With the pattern, the pattern is an expectation that something will happen yeah. good from that. And so So yeah, David's sort of during his exile come across mm. all these people and then we yep. see Ahithophel and Hushai yeah, sort yeah. of come to Absalom yep. and 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 speak to him. Um obviously we know that one of them's a double agent here. Mm. Um so what's sort of going on then in this passage? So Absalom is a little bit like um he kind of is a, he doubts. At first, he doubts um, um, Hushai's advice. Yeah. And, but anyway, he manages to, again, just summarizing the text, um, he manages to convince um, Absalom that he is on his side. And Thithithel, mm. his first advice before Hushai can get in there is to sleep with his father's concubines. That's what we mentioned before. Like yeah. Absalom's gone from someone who was seeking to overcome a wrong yeah. to someone who's committing Lots of wrong, but what also this did was, if you slept with your father's concubine, you were stating that you were king. Yeah. So by doing this, he's shown that David's powerless. Mm. David, so yeah, I probably forgot that part too. David left ten of his concubines to kind of look after the palace sure. while he was gone, and so yeah. there's a certain irony here that on the palace rooftop where David first saw Bathsheba yeah. bathing naked, now on that same rooftop, Absalom is like sleeping with his concubines in broad daylight, which yeah. is what Nathan said would happen. Like you do yeah. this in secret, what's going to happen to you is happen in broad daylight. Yeah. So yeah, 
It's Can you just messy. kind of culturally and historically mm. unpack the idea of a concubine? Because I think that, you know, for anyone who maybe yeah. did ancient history, they understand that maybe part of a harem is yes. of sorts. But what would have David's concubines actually actually meant to him? Yeah. What sort of status symbol would have they had? I mean, they obviously, they're, they're not just seen yeah. as, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how to say it without being crass, but... Yeah. They're not just seen as whores, I guess, no, that he's yeah. sleeping with because they are given the charge of running his household yeah, while he's away. They're, they're kind of like a wife, but they have a lower status than sure. a wife. Yeah. Um, sort of like how Hugh Hefner sort of had yeah. like his official wife, I remember, yeah. and then like he had his girlfriends who were his bunnies still who hung out at the house and still had yeah, some, like some probably, somewhat status. And they kind of looked after the palace like solomon has 700 wives and 300 concubines and so they were kind of like tears or yeah had like this it's not the same it's not the same it's like a step below almost like a yeah yeah but like they're a, not an absolute nobody at the no same time. no because sure. um that's one of um jumping ahead to kings when abijah so david's fourth son takes the throne and then like solomon gets it um Abishag is the last concubine to sleep with David mm. and you know she tries to keep him warm and Abijah makes that request to Bathsheba if mm. she, um, he can marry her and Solomon recognises like, oh you're trying to take the kingship from me and kills him that's sort of yeah. the, so there was a recognition that concubines had power but weren't full wives and, and concubines yeah. although yeah like I mean to us it seems very sort of sexually immoral and illicit and, yeah. and all those things there seemed to maybe, at least within this context of a king's concubine, yeah. be some fidelity mm. to that singular king for yep. the concubine. Yeah. Okay. It's just so, interesting because I think it's a very foreign thing. It is totally ones. foreign. <laughs> and Hopefully it's foreign for look, everyone. <laughs> and it's one of those things I think is important to, to note. It's just because in the Bible doesn't mean it's condoned. Sure. So just because David had lots of wives and lots of concubines doesn't mean, wow, well, God was cool. That actually yeah. probably wasn't. Like, sure. um, the Bible always seems to, like narrative very rarely comments, good or bad. It just states hmm. like the, the events. But yeah, I often say to people, well, read Jacob's marriage. Look at Rachel and Leah and... Does that seem like a happy marriage? Like, yeah. no. I mean, you <laughs> could definitely say like, that um, sort of Hagar was maybe a concubine. And that yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. work well, out yeah, well with Abraham, Abraham and, yeah. and Sarah. And then, yeah, pretty much every single time there's two wives that just, just, just again, it's one of those biblical patterns yeah, where you're yeah. like, this isn't going to turn out yeah, well. Like, <laughs> well, even the beginning of Samuel, Hannah. Hannah was the first wife, barren. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the yeah. second wife that, um, oh gosh, I had a mind blank, El- Elkanah marries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just basically the ancient form of IVF. Yeah. Well, when you haven't got IVF, that yeah, was yeah. how you did it. You found a, a wife or a concubine that could produce heirs for you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the point was is it's quite messy, disgusting. Absalom has just, yeah, cemented, um, I guess, his place as king and really, like, mm. rubbed it into his father. And, two, Torah was quite clear you can't uncover your father's nakedness mm. so that was a way of saying like sleeping with you know the father's wife and so yeah we've got this like escalation of sin mm. happening and so yeah Absalom yeah is really he's n- no longer I would say an anti-hero it's becoming increasingly the villain mm-hmm. and it's very clear mm-hmm. at this point 
So this is where sort of the downfall. That's sort of the end of chapter 16. We get to chapter 17. Through the fall, he says to Absalom, and this is kind of, if you read this advice, I'll read it out properly. You'll kind of see the hints of like Jesus' betrayal, which Judas mm. does. So he says here, I would choose um, 12,000 men, which also is, you know, pointing to 12 tribes of Israel, and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he's weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. So it seems like a pretty good plan. Like He's like, hey, yeah. just attack now. Yeah. Like David's just fled. He's going to be tired. Yeah. Do it now. Yes. Kill one man and all will be over. Yeah. And so well, We've yeah. seen in the past when David gets into a cave and starts kind of building an army. He has been known to do that in the past. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's... it's And actually... um. Thuzval's advice, it says there in chap- at the end of chapter 16, um, it was like um, advice that was like one who inquires of God. Mm. So it seems like he's a super wise guy. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Remember David's prayer? He said, hey, confu- confound the wisdom. And so, yeah, like I said, that's exactly what um, Judas does. Yeah. Takes that advice, does it. And then... Absalom's like, well, I've got Hushai here as well. Let's see what he says. And Hushai's like, <laughs> Don't do ah, it. <laughs> it's not good, basically. You know, David's like a, a, a wild bear robbed of her cubs. You know, he's an experienced fighter. You know, he'll not spend the night with his troops. He'll be hidden. Nah, you know, you know, even the bravest soldier whose heart is like a lion will melt in fear for Israel knows that your father is a fighter and that those with him are brave. So here's what he says. Let all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, be gathered to you with yourself leading them in battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found and he will fall as the dew settles on the ground. And so one advice is attack now, kill mm. David, be over. Yeah. And um, yeah, but, um, Hushai's advice is, hey, yeah. get all the army let's just yeah which uh, us us as readers knowing that he's sort of a little bit of a secret agent for david yep. it's like oh okay that's obviously the opposite so of what advice. he thinks is yeah. the good advice so, and so even he's sort of for us yeah, as the yeah. readers agreeing. we know that that's a, it's a bad idea <laughs> yeah, yeah and then um agreeing that Heatherfell's yeah. advice is actually good <laughs> yeah and then what's um actually um yeah, and essentially, uh, just to skip forward a bit more for the sake of time, basically, thought recognises that, uh, you know, his advice is not being followed. He saddles his donkey, sets out for his hometown, put his house in order and hangs himself. And so yeah. it's like, okay, that's mm. a very extreme response. Why? And it's like, well, if he's as wise as what the text suggests, he probably saw the writing on the wall. He's mm. like, yeah, this isn't going to end well. And if David survives, <laughs> what's going to happen to me? Yeah. I'm going to die anyway. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's really it. And then we get here to Absalom's death. So mm. everyone gathers there. Lots of different names and lots of different <laughs> places. It's all can be a little bit confusing. But essentially there is... Um, yeah, this big battle. And so chapter 18 counts that. And Joab, who's his um, general, he leads the, the fight. And they say to David, who's probably quite old by this point. Mm. Um, but I saw one like timeline which suggested that, yeah, this is probably close to David's death. So he's probably quite old and not mm. up to battle like 
yeah. once was. Um, but anyway, the point is that David, you know, yeah, no, don't go. And they say, you must not go. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you're worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. So he waits there, kind of taking on this Eli mm. sort of role. Mm. Like Eli's there waiting as mm. kind of this old man. David's kind of this old man waiting. And what's interesting is despite what Absalom has done, um, David... Is makes a command clear, like that they are to not hurt Absalom. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, this is sort of the complexity of David. So this is from um, eighteen verse five. It says the king commanded Joab, um, yeah, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. I like a young man. He's probably a man in his forties yeah, by yeah. this point. Like he's it's kind of like when they're your kid, they're <laughs> yeah, always you know. a baby. <laughs> um, for my sake. And all the troops heard the order, the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So this is at Joab, um, mm-hmm. Abiashar, and Itai. So kind of the idea is like David's commanded not to kill Absalom. Mm-hmm. And so the army marches out, they're Israel's troops. And this is kind of what I was saying a bit on Sunday as well. Um, part of David's sin is that, well, 20,000 Israelite men are killed in this. Like, if Israel's advice was, well, if you got now, only one person has to die. Mm. And so we see this spiraling effect of sin. So even though they had sided with Absalom, which was against, yeah, God's man David, mm. the point is like death, destruction, sin. There's really no winners mm. in this. Mm. And yeah, and sort of like it's that question which isn't, it's indirectly asking. It's like, oh, crikey, who's who's worthy to lead Israel? Yeah. This is like kind of the consequences of what happened. Like men are dying, concubines are being raped. It's just really really messy and what's um what is weird is um it says here the battle spread out among the whole countryside and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword it's Mm. like this yeah it's almost like i know creation itself is fighting against Mm. the enemies of david there's Mm. yeah it's almost like yeah god's so angry at what yeah absalom's done that israel are punished for that and so and then we get to this point, this is so 18 verse 9. Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, like a donkey, and donkeys are like a royal image. And as he's riding the donkey, this is the irony. Absalom's hair got caught in the tree and he's left hanging in midair. <laughs> it's quite mm. it's quite a humorous sight. Imagine mm. that, having his hair so he's yeah. just stuck there. And the mule keeps riding, he's just stuck, trapped there. And so mm. the the men see what's happened and they tell Job, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree and Job's like, what? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Mm. Then I would have had to give you 10 shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. And so the men are like, no way, we're not doing this. We heard what the king you know, told you not to do. And Job's like, I'm not going to wait for you. And so he takes three javelins and plunges <laughs> him into Just absence. for good measure. Yeah, just <laughs> and yeah, stabs him, plunges him into his heart. while he's, And then... Yeah, and then just to make sure, then 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded yeah. Absalom and just struck and killed him. So it's like, okay, we're going to stab him three times while he's hanging in the tree, and then we're just going to make sure he's... Like, it's like one of those crazy new art, news articles where you hear someone being stabbed 77 times yeah, or yeah, something. Like, and you're just like, just oh my making gosh. sure that... Like, um, I, think, I think they're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then um, to desecrate him even more, so verse 17, and they take Absalom and throw him into a big pit in the forest and pile large rocks over him. Mm. 
which is kind of what you did to curse people. Sure. Like um, in Joshua. I've just, um, Aiken? Aiken, that's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah same thing. So there's this, yeah, it's pretty grim, like yeah. this whole thing. It's yeah. super grim. And then what's more complex, and this is where, like, it's hard to know character motivations, is that, so David's waiting, um, the, a messenger's sent out, um, so one of the sons of Zadok, um, I mean, why is that? He says, let me run and take the news to the king. The Lord has vindicated him by delivering from the hand of his enemies. And Joab's like, uh, yeah, maybe not. Maybe yeah. we'll send a... He actually said, sends a Cushite. He goes, I'll let a Gentile do it. So mm. we're going to send bad news. Yeah. Let's send a Gentile to do it. <laughs> Go to the king. And so this Cushite runs out. And I'm at... I mean, I has. I think that's how you say it. He says, a job, come on, let me run behind the Cushite. And he's like, oh, why do you want to go? And he says, okay, fine, run. In biblical narrative, whenever there's lots of dialogue, it shows you that there's it's important. So even mm. that seems a bit random to us. So obviously, the narrator saw this as important to have all this dialogue about telling David. And it creates this sort of sense of ambiguity. It's like, is Joab in the right? Is David in the right? Mm. It's like, yeah. This, as as David's sitting there waiting. Um, yeah, he sees the guy, he sees the man running and it's I mean I has and he says well he's a good man he comes with good news he says all is well you know praise be the Lord your God who's delivered up those who've lifted their hands against the Lord my king and he says is Absalom safe and he says um, I saw great confusion just as Job was about to send the king's servant to me and he said but I don't know what it was and then that Cushite arrives and tells him that um, Absalom is dead and then David's response is, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And it's just this absolute grief and mourning he mm. pulls out. Mm. And yeah. And then this is what's odd. It's like, it's like Joab gets really cranky with David. It's like, hey, you know, if you keep on weeping, he says, today you've humiliated all your men who've just saved your life yeah. and the lives of your sons and daughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this sort of tension of like, is Joab right? Was he right to kill mm-hmm. Absalom? Was like, yeah. And there's sort of different commentators had different views. <laughs> um, some say, well, Joab was in the wrong. Some are like, well, no, like Joab did the right thing. Like imagine keeping Absalom alive. What mm. would have that have done? And mm. yeah, point of all this is, I say how I look at it is just this... I said it time and time, this messiness of sin and the chaos mm. of that. And yeah, as you read through Samuel, you're left like, well, if David, the man after God's own heart, mm. can kind of lead a family like this, which yeah. has become like a second Eli. Yeah. And you know, all this carnage and chaos and yeah, destruction. You're yeah. like, wow, who, who is worthy to lead? Israel. I know it's obviously something a little bit different as well, but Mm. the image of Absalom hanging from a tree Mm. as the son of the king, I can't help but think of Joshua taking the honey that was hanging in the tree when oh Jonathan yeah Jonathan Jonathan. yeah 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 um being told to Mm. you know well he didn't realize that Saul had said nobody eat the honey yeah yeah and now David the king has said nobody touch my Mm. son and now he's hanging in the tree yeah yeah. and Joab decides to sort of take and kill (laughs) instead of take and eat Mm. it does definitely seem just from like my reading of it this is all just interpretation yeah, yeah 
uh, it seems to me that maybe Joab is is being framed as being in the wrong here, as seeing mm. something hanging in a tree that he's told not to not touch. To take. Yeah, yeah. And he stabs it three times. It's sort of you know sure this it's like thing. Dead. It's like you know really yeah. really done it. Um, but yeah, it is the fascinating thing about these moments of scripture. There is openness to mm. interpretation and conversation. Well, from certainly from one king's point of view, Joab, like he gets killed by Solomon's mm. men as punishment for this. Yeah. And so Joab himself is, he also kills a man innocently. He killed his brother. Mm. There's Joab's is not, Joab is not a good, a righteous dude. Yeah. He's not this sort of, <laughs> another kind of anti-hero type yeah. character. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's just, like I said, like a lot of ambiguity yeah. in scripture here. Like, yeah. Like you got sort of moments of like, righteousness mixing with moments of like, mm. Mm. and yeah. these really messy characters. Yeah. And, and the hard thing for us is that I said the narrator in biblical narrative very rarely gives us like their perspective. Yeah. The narrator just states facts and you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean for yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. And the challenge for me is like the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church, he says all scripture is God breathed and useful for, you know, teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. And he wasn't talking about his letters or the gospels. No. He was talking about yeah, yeah. the Hebrew scriptures, yeah. including well, well, actually, well, these, this part of the Bible is called like the former prophets. Yeah. Like they saw, like the Jews saw these as like prophetic texts. Yeah. And so you had the former prophets, Joshua, um, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all that. So they saw yeah. these as like prophetic writings in a strange way. Yeah. And yeah, we're kind of left to wrestle, which is what I enjoy. I enjoy wrestling with these because yeah. it leaves... I think that's a really helpful reminder because mm. I think even though they are obviously historical, I think that that does totally change our mindset when we're coming to these as not just historical, they mm. are that, but also like as prophetic. Yeah. Like, what, does, what does that mean? But mm. I, th I think we can see the way in which there's those sort of hyperlinks and those repetition and those cyclical themes that keep mm. on sort of, as you said, recapitulating. I like that mm -hmm. word. Um, yeah. We see that, yeah, there is something even more profound going on mm. here. And even just even in the way that Absalom's hair seemed to be something of great pride for him mm. and sort of be in, in a Samson-esque way, I think you said off air, you know, sort of a symbol of his virility and his strength and his power. Mm. And then that pride is the the kind of thing that ends up being his undoing. There's obviously a lot of poetic irony there, mm. but even just going all the way back to Hannah's song at the very beginning, you know, the proud, you know, will be humbled mm. and the humble will be exalted. There yep. seems to be this thematic sort of unraveling of the head <laughs> mm. being sort of caught up or cut yeah. off or crushed or whatever it is in each recapitulation mm. of these ideas through one and two Samuel, you just see it once again, that, mm. you know, Absalom's pride ends up being his undoing, which mm. is quite interesting. I, I suppose for us, like that was reflecting on preaching this and it was a difficult passage to find application for, but I mean, it came, came back to this idea of like trying to overcome evil in our own strength. And we spoke a bit about this, and part one, like mm. the Me Too movement of mm. something that started with good intentions, but it's now probably ends up causing more destruction for people than forgiveness yeah. and reconciliation. Yeah, and yeah, that's what and that's what one of the things we're seeing how weirdly Jesus is Absalom, David, or <laughs> yeah. all, all these kind of characters mixed in one is that yeah, yeah Jesus walked the same route that David walked um, to the Mount of Olives. 
and there overcomes David's failure mm. and Absalom's as well mm. and hanging in the tree. Yeah, uh, he brings the justice and overcomes the evil that mm. we desperately crave for. Mm. And yeah, the the Tamars of the world who are just oppressed and no one's there to sort of fight for them mm. and see justice, mm. he does that. Mm. So one day Tamar's... Yeah, crimes committed against her will be punished mm. by Jesus. Yeah, perfectly. And yeah, and, and, that's, and that's deeply comforting because that's what... And because Absalom in, at the beginning of 15, that's what he's doing. He's recognising, well, my father's yeah. not doing the justice right. Yeah. I will do it better. Yeah. But like a lot of people who seek to... Yeah, revenge. Yeah. It spirals out of control. Take justice into their own hands. hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there's that movie Taken with Liam Neeson. Yeah. There's that classic scene, you know, I don't know who you are, what yeah, you've yeah. done, but, you know, yeah. I will find you and yeah. I will kill you. And yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. if he'd just forgiven them, the movie would be boring. But we yeah. watch movies like that because, like, yeah, kill the bad guys. You know, you kidnap my daughter, I kill, like, 50 of your men. Like, yeah, there's yeah, this yeah. escalation that... Yeah, and then part two, I think, is the person getting revenge on him for killing. Like it's yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's how they make them. Like, but that's what the movie's about. <laughs> it's all about yeah. Liam Neeson killing a whole bunch of bad guys. But you yeah. see, like the consequences of the revenge. Yeah, is escalating. Yeah, I think that's we've spoken about before. Another good example of that was the latest Batman film, where sort mm. of Robert Pattinson's sort of slogan throughout it is like "I am vengeance," mm. and then the Riddler sort of spoilers ends up taking that line himself at mm. the end and saying like "I am vengeance," but it very quickly just spirals out of control, yeah. and you sort of realize like, ah, oh, you don't need vengeance; you need justice. Mm. <laughs> like vengeance is sort of a grudge, yeah. you know. Justice is putting things right again, yeah. and it's yeah that that tension that look no human being no human run organization or movement has ever done perfectly mm. and even when it has done it well it eventually sort of manifests into something twisted and broken and distorted mm. that yeah only only jesus is able to perfect yeah and and that's the cool thing we're reflecting upon like christmas particularly the image of the manger it's very such a humble image for a king mm. um yeah and that's the type of king that God has sent in the world to rectify the world. Mm. Uh, yeah. And yeah, David obviously had his very humble beginnings, but yeah, life in a palace certainly changed him. Mm. Um, no longer a shepherd boy. Yeah. And, and that, like his first exile really formed David as a very wise and good king. Mm. And, and that's, yeah, quite evidence. He yeah, shows compassion. He gathers the outcasts. Um, yeah. When, when we looked at, um, when David pretends to be insane and then he ends up in a cave, it's like, that's his lowest point. Like a mm. cave is where people were traditionally buried. Yeah. So it's like he's almost died. It's a resurrection. And then resurrection. And then gets that real high point with a covenant and then it's like, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, David, like he does, and look, there's a whole mu bunch more happens in 2 Samuel, but David does return to the throne. But yeah, it's never quite the okay. same. And we don't even have space for it, but the end of... 2 Samuel ends up David takes a census which yeah was like prohibited in Torah like if mm. he did it, he had to offer all this sacrifice and even like Joab's like dude don't do this yeah, like yeah, yeah. the Lord will bless you even more because it was a way of um, yeah um, showing strength like earthly strength and yeah. like David's sort of rule at least in like 2 Samuel and it's, it's hard to know if it's chronological but like from, from like a textual point of view David's yeah. sort of last actions as king in 2 Samuel is taking this census and 70,000 people have wiped out in judgment yeah. and you're like oh. like there's a real 
yeah view that like the king of Israel determined the fate of the nation and so in that sense too that's what Jesus does like he mm. yeah one man's actions cause the world to fall apart like Adam mm. one king's actions results in lots of people's deaths and destruction yeah. one son of David's actions yeah. re- reverts all that and yeah. so yeah, that's what we're sort of meant to see here. This tracking of yeah. moments of like, ooh, okay, this is kind of what yeah. God's intentions are to like, yeah. ooh. And, yeah. and then as we get into Kings, you begin mm. to say it with Solomon. Solomon takes us back to Eden. Mm. There's one point, it's like everyone's eating under their own fig and vine, which is what Jacob foresaw yeah. that um, Judah would do. He'd be yeah. king and like he'd have a, be so wealthy. Ah, my donkey, you'd tether it to the vin, to the vine. Ah, he cares if he eats the grapes. I have so many. It's yeah, yeah. like, yeah, something that's can usually say precious and wealthy. It's like, I have so much. I don't care if my donkey's eating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this little snapshot of Eden. I'm like, oh, this is what it is to have like someone that understands like good and evil, mm. someone that's able to rule properly, who brings peace, prosperity, but then that quickly falls apart. So, yeah, mm. I can see why the Jews called these like, writings these narratives prophecy because mm. it does gives us hints mm. foreshadowing and things to take in our lives mm. what to do what to warn for but also too if we have failed which we all do knowing that jesus covers that so he might mm. not cover the consequences mm. so david still faced consequences but mm. he was forgiven and so for us that mm. knowledge of forgiveness yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. still still we we still reap what we sow but mm. there's an there's an eternal sort of recompense mm, yes <laughs> for it yeah love it well look it's been a uh, joy going through at a pretty breakneck speed yeah. <laughs> the, the book of samuel but i think that it's been really beautiful just picking out these key moments that point us back to christ and yeah obviously something that we're going to be reflecting on over this christmas period as yeah. we head into uh sunday and, and monday christmas day so yeah want to wish everyone a very merry christmas mm. we're going to take a bit of a break from banter over january as we have some uh, people sharing testimonies and some uh, reflections mm. but yeah mitch 2023 we did it we did it we finished <laughs> it feels like it just started and we're it does it does <laughs> that means we've been doing banter for two years who wow. would have thunk it yeah i know who would have thunk two it years so, you know cool. i think i think we started just recording on our phones yeah now we did got, we literally just know, had iphones podcast mics we got it all happening yeah. maybe next year we'll have to get like um video set up and do you know keen for that every year we'll get a bit more fancier <laughs> but <laughs> i felt like when you start a podcast you gotta start like really low tech you gotta look back and go oh man look at our humble beginnings it's so. all about that lo- that lo-fi life yeah yeah you know yeah, yeah. i think that's like a lot of famous like youtubers yeah. and podcasters you see their early stuff it's really like yeah it's not as fun if, if you start like at the top. You've got to work your way up. You know? There's something it. about progressing. Got, it's about that David lifestyle. Yeah. Start as a shepherd, end up at the, temp, uh, at, the um, at the temple, or not the temple, the kingdom. The king, yeah. But um, yeah, don't, don't fall. Just yeah, keep yeah, on going yeah, up yeah. from there. <laughs> no worries. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And we look oh, forward to uh, seeing yeah. you Christmas Day. See you then. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.